From the Unconquered Podcast Studio, this is the Unconquered Podcast. I'm Jason Staples. Looks like we might actually have a season, folks. As of right now, the ACC continues to be full speed forward, full speed ahead. And uh, even though there are some rumors that things might, there have been some rumors in the past uh, couple weeks, I should say, swirling that things might move back by a couple weeks, it... uh, those rumors have, have died down a little bit, and it does look like we're moving forward. So I'm about to release uh, a bunch of preview episodes over the next uh, over the next week and a half in advance of this uh, of this season, so that we can actually talk football. So this is going to be fun. I've got a bunch of stuff coming also on Patreon. Actually managed to finally get some fuller all 22 films, so I can actually go through that defense in a way that makes much more sense. Uh, than using some broadcast stuff on some things. So I'm, I'm going to be able to get some of that stuff done here very soon as well. It has been very difficult to get my hands on fuller film, uh, <laughs> but finally managed to trade for a little bit, and uh, that'll that'll work. But before I do that, this show is brought to you by EPR Creations. EPR Creations partners with small businesses for website development and online strategy planning. I partnered with EPR Creations to build the Show the Safeties petition to get ESPN, CBS, and other networks to update the angles they use for televised football. If you want to be able to see the receivers downfield on pass plays, sign the petition at showthesafeties.com. And if you have any need for an improved internet presence or just want to improve your marketing, call EPR Creations or send them an email and let them know you heard about them from the Unconquered podcast. You'll be glad you did. Information's in the show notes. Okay, first bit of business. We're talking about today is the move of Isaiah Bolden to wide receiver. And quite frankly, I love this move. Um, Several reasons for that. First of all, I'm going to go ahead and play the clip of my breakdown of what I thought of Bolden coming out of high school. That'll give you some sense of why I like this move so much. 6'2 guy. And in a lot of ways, again, you could put him in the potential difference maker category because of his ability to play corner at that size. Runs sub 11 in the 100 meters. Size speed is plus on both sides. But I actually project him as a safety, not as a corner long term, because I think he's a little on the stiffer side. I might be wrong. He may be one of those guys that I should have moved up a class. But again, there's several players here that I think are on the verge of potential difference maker, but I have them them down. I'd rather err on the side of being a little bit conservative here. And he's one of those guys that Again, we'll see how how he works out, but I think that's where that where where I'd put him. So as you can tell, I I was never really sold on Bolden as a corner. Uh, s- just tremendous speed. Uh, a guy that had he ran his personal best hundred meters in high school was a ten five four, and his personal best two hundred was a twenty one seven four. Which for those of you who aren't really familiar with with track times. Those are really, really fast track times, especially for a guy that's 6'2". That 10.54 puts you, um, you know, in the top 1% of college football players in terms of speed. That's legit. And, I mean, even if that's, that, that was probably a hand time. I, I doubt that was a, um, a, a full uh, laser situation. But at the same point, even if that's a hand time and not a fat time, that... Um, <laughs> That 10.54, you're still looking at a guy running 10.7. And if that is a fat time, then that's even better. So you're looking at a guy that can run away from just about everybody. And he showed that speed once he got to Florida State. The issue really is that playing corner is not just about long speed. You've got to be able to, you've got to, be able to sink your hips and, 
the 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 fluidity and hip flexibility and all of that is really the issue. Uh, and he just always seemed a little stiffer to me to be able to play a lot of uh, a lot of man, a lot of tight stuff. So I, I just wasn't sure how he'd work out. And then you look at the at the corner depth chart, and I see Akeem Dent, Jerry and Jones. I don't see him playing over either of those guys now or in the future. Demory Tate, I think he's going to be a better player at corner. And he's a, he's a fl- more fluid athlete as a corner than Bolden. And then you've got Asante Samuel. He's not going anywhere. Then you've got Mako Dotson, who I think is going to be your, your, your nickel guy this year. Jarvis Brownlee. I think you, there you're probably getting pretty close to similar type players, but Brownlee's had a really good camp. So then my thought would be move him to safety. But then you look at safety and you go, well, he's not going to play over Lars Woodby. Woody, I mean, yeah, he's got probably got more range, you know, than than some of these guys because of the speed. But you're going to lose some in the in terms of the physicality because he'd really be a corner playing playing safety, and he's not going to play over Travis J. Renardo Green is you know comparable in a lot of respects, not quite as fast. So you start looking at it and you go, well, where is a spot for him? And then you start to think, wait a second, this guy was a really good return man in in high school. And a really good and, and was good with the ball in his hands just at any point. And he, he's he's flashed some returnability at Florida State. And so all of a sudden you say, wait a second, why don't we just flip him over to the other side of the ball where all of a sudden he's our fastest or second fastest wide receiver. That's what that's what the coaching staff does. All of a sudden, well, we go from maybe, he's, you know, he's, he's struggling to get in to crack third third unit as a as a corner. All of a sudden, you've got a guy that next year might be one of your top two or three targets. And in this offense that that does so much down the field in terms of what Norvell wants to do. I mean, his core pass play, which I I broke down uh, on Patreon a a couple months ago, his core pass play is four verts. He wants to stretch you. And then he's going to he's going to take that four verts and he's going to change that up and have somebody run a run a post. He's going to run your post dig combos. He wants to he wants to get big plays when he throws the football. And when he's not getting big plays out of that, he's going to throw. He's going to back shoulder you to death, and he's going to throw a lot of a lot of little screens and things like that on the outside. Well, you get a guy that runs a ten five and has real has near corner fluidity. That's the thing. He's a little stiff to be a six two corner, but as a receiver, he's more fluid than just about anybody at, at that size. That's just the difference between corner what what the corner position requires and what the receiver position requires. And that long speed is more valuable at wide receiver where you know where you're going. And all of a sudden you've got a guy that when Tamori and Terry goes, when he, when he goes pro, all of a sudden you have a guy that can step in and be that kind of speed merchant, that difference maker that, that all of a sudden becomes a a real weapon. And in, in Norvell's offense, that kind of speed is extra valuable. So, and and they've got you know a lot of big bodies and they've got uh they've got some slot type guys but what they didn't have as much of I mean you've got it this year in Terry and there's some of it in Jordan Young in that sense but in that that full package of a legit track speed type weapon with some size that you can move around all of a sudden you've got that on that side of the ball I think it's a great move I think it makes Florida State a lot better maybe not as much better this year because it's late in camp. And it's going to take him a while to to learn the position at the college level, and there's a lot of route adjustments and things like that that uh, that are in 
Norvell's offense in terms of different things that you you just have to know and and be able to to adjust to based on coverage and that sort of thing. So given that, it's going to take him a little bit to adjust. So it might not make him, you know, he he's going to probably get some time out there this year just because of the speed. But next year, all of a sudden, it makes you a lot better. That's that's like getting a four star wide receiver, maybe maybe even you know the high level, high end of four star receiver, given that he's already been in college a little bit uh, on your roster for next year. You're all of a sudden talking about adding a different uh, a potential difference maker that can put that can change the numbers on the scoreboard. So, and I, I think also this sets him up more to be potentially a guy that uh, focuses on the return game this year. I wouldn't be surprised to see him taking some uh, some kick returns this year. Again, due to being a 200, 200 pound plus guy that runs, you know, sub ten seven in the hundred meters. So, you know, you, you put him back there with Corey Wren, for example, and all of a sudden you've got two guys that have legit track speed. And there, there's there's going to be interesting to see what they do in terms of kick return this year because they've got some some weapons back there that are not not going to be guys that start uh, in terms of running back or wide receiver. So you don't worry about letting those guys basically throw themselves at the wall and all of a sudden you can get some some big plays out of those guys. So I, I think that's a great move. I think uh, I think it's something that it's a move that really last year should have already been under consideration. But given where things are with wide receiver and, and the other thing is the way that that Norvell uses his slots, that that three position, I think Bolden has a chance to end up be playing some three three spot behind Helton. Uh, Pokey Wilson's gotten some time at the three. That that slot position, which moves around, this is the thing, is that Norvell moves his receivers around a bunch just to get matchups for his specific guys, and they, they call it a lot a lot differently than uh, what you get. And that's that's very different than, say, what you had with, uh, with Bryles, where basically guys only learned one spot, and you lined up in the one spot that you learned pretty much all year. So you are the right outside receiver. Or you are the left outside receiver, or you are the right inside receiver. You know these sorts of things, or you're just an inside receiver. That's basically what you had with with Bryles. With Norvell, you're going to see them move guys around, and you're going to see Terry moving all over the place because they're going to want to get him. They're going to want to move him to force teams to either move their best corner, or all of a sudden you're getting a mismatch with your best receiver against maybe their number three cover guy or number four cover guy. They're going to move him around. They're going to use motion. That's something else that Norvell uses a lot more than what we've seen in, in the last two years. There's a lot more motion in Norvell's offense. Again, trying to just do things to cheat a little bit and get guys some matchup advantages. And that's a little bit different than Bryles' notion was, we're going to try to get the matchup advantages, or we're going to try to get advantages just by going really, really fast all the time so that they have to stay vanilla and they have to uh, they, they have to basically race to get to the line of scrimmage and just worry about lining up. So that's going to be the objective with Norvell. He's going to he's going to warp speed once in a while just to just to change things. But he he's a firm believer in changing speeds and also changing where you line guys up and doing a combination of those things so that you uh, so that all of a sudden when the defense looks like they're sleeping a little bit, that's when you tempo them. And all of a sudden when you've got the uh, when you've got the matchup that you like, when you've got the personnel situation that you like out there, that's when you tempo so that they can't. You go high tempo so that they can't they can't substitute. But if they're not if it's not one of those situations, then why why speed up when you can use some motion and other elements to get better looks in some cases? And again, 
when you're not going warp speed all the time, when you do choose to go warp speed, it actually has more impact. It's it, it's a similar principle to route running and all sorts of things that change of pace is really what's hardest to defend. The fastest guys, a lot of times you can just stay over the top. But if those guys know how to change their speed too, look out. I want to pause for a moment and thank Luis Marquez from Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida. Over 90% of home buyers search online first these days, so it's critical to make sure your listing stands out with great pictures and video. Lewis is a trained photographer and videographer. Other realtors have hired him to come photograph their listings, and nobody will make your home look better for prospective home buyers, including smooth, professional walkthrough video. And if you're in the market to buy a home in the greater Jacksonville area, no one will outwork Lewis. He was a manager at the Pickup Publix on Ocala and Tallahassee, so you know he works hard and understands customer service. He'll help you find the right house and make sure every step goes smoothly through closing. Information in the show notes. Let him know you heard about him from the Unconquered podcast. Another thing that came out this week was the motivational thing that uh, Norvell has introduced, the smashing of the rock. Take out that sledgehammer. Everybody puts their name on it, and this is something that they do as a way of representing all that work that they're putting in and uh and and all of that and you have a guy go out there and, and smash that rock and they release the video of josh kando doing that this week saw some criticism people oh that's so gimmicky or whatever i like it frankly that's the sort of thing i do like because college athletes look these guys are 18 to 22 years old most of them college athletes tend to enjoy that sort of thing first of all it's just fun to smash stuff your football guys, I mean, seriously, get to smash something? Yeah, that's fun. And yeah, I think there's something to the idea of we're going to do this as a representation of different things. There's all sorts of things you do. You you try to pull every possible lever to get guys to buy into a particular ethos, a particular way of viewing the world. And that's just part of that. So I, I like it. Now, the thing is, it doesn't work for long if the results aren't there. So if you, if you have guys doing that all the time, and if you're living on... Uh, on gimmicks, if you're living on these sorts of motivational tactics, but you're not actually requiring the day in day out work and you're not getting, you're not getting the results that that day in day out work uh, should bring, then eventually that stuff wears real thin. But if you can use that and, and pair that with all of those high expectations and everything, then it actually helps reinforce that. And if you start to win once you do it, then that starts to become something that you can really celebrate with your team. You can really have some fun with those guys. And it, again, builds a camaraderie. It builds a sense of togetherness. I talked about this uh, back when Norvell was hired, and there was some discussion about some of the the little ticky-tack rules that he has and all that, and why I think those are actually helpful and yeah, those can also go bad badly if you're not getting the results, but there's something to ritual. There's something to requiring that guys make little sacrifices, even if it's just for the sake of inconvenience. There's something to that for the sociological reason that these, these guys are going to feel a little closer together for going through that collective ritual together. And the more you can ritualize things and the more you can get that sense of being together where we don't just compete against one another, but we're here as a family and we're going to enjoy, we're going to do something that is, uh, that, that makes us feel together and makes us feel like we're, we're going to war together. The more you can get that sense, the better. And I, I think that's a, again, that's his particular way of doing it. I wouldn't necessarily do it that way myself, but it's the sort of thing that I think most teams should have. Most coaches should have that sort of thing. I mean, 
P.J. Fleck has the row the boat thing. And if you're an outsider, that stuff sounds so stupid. But look, Flex had a lot of success at multiple places now with guys buying into all of those slogans, all the all the jargon, all of the row the boat stuff, because there is a method to that madness. That's this is who we are. This is just how we're going to be. And it's going to pay off, guys. I promise you it's going to pay off. Here's how it's going to pay off. And then when it starts to pay off, then guys just totally lose it. They buy in. And so that's there's a sociological reason for this stuff. And I think it's smart for coaches to do that. Another thing, though, by the way, my God, does Kando look like he was built in a lab? That guy looks like he was designed in a lab to play defensive end in the NFL. I've thought that since he was since he came in. But man, that guy has just continued to develop his body and has continued to just I mean, he he looks like a top five NFL draft pick should look. And if that guy can stay healthy, I mean, he was starting to turn you starting to turn the corner last year when he in the two games prior to when he went down, he was really starting to come on and was starting to flash first round type potential. But if he's and if he's able to do that in this in this season, if he's able to show anything like the growth off of that, who could be looking at a surprise candidate for a conference player of the year from that guy? Let's be honest. I mean, there aren't many there aren't very many guys who are designed like that. And and he can move. The only question about him all along has been being a little bit stiff, which has then led to some I think that's been a factor in some of the injuries, although last year asking him to be in pass coverage and then having a guy take out his own teammate friendly fire take out his knee, that's not not a matter of of uh flexibility or mobility, but it doesn't it does make you a little bit more prone just overall to some of the, some of the nagging stuff that he'd had prior to that. And hopefully with storms and all of that in the off season, that's something that they really focused on is getting him more mobile through the corners of his motion uh, of his range of motion so that he's uh, better, a little bit more flexible, a little bendier at that, at that uh, height and weight and, and overall strength profile. And if he, he's that, Yikes! You're talking about this. That defense changes radically if Josh Kando is what he was supposed to be when he was recruited, because that gives you a designated pass rusher and a monster in uh, run support from that spot in in terms of uh, of run defense from that spot that all of a sudden just changes the game. So because you suddenly have to start blocking for that guy, and then you've got to deal with Marvin Wilson next to him. Good luck. So yeah. Um, but overall, this team seems to have pretty decent buy-in at this point. I mean, the guys that jumped to Norvell's defense after the uh, uh, after the situation with COVID, even Warren Thompson. I mean, whatever Norvell did to get that taken care of with Thompson, he seems to have really understood what was going on. And and there's more buy-in than ever now. And uh, I mean, you look at what Isaiah Bolden quickly moving to wide receiver when he's asked. First of all, that tells you that there's some buy-in. And eagerly moving to wide receiver, that tells you that there's some buy-in, that he's trusting his coaches there. And secondly, when he tweets what he did, talking about how what Norvell had tweeted the night before, he's like, look, this is this is who our coach is. We trust this guy. We'll go, we're going to go to war for this guy. I tell you what, uh, the staff seems to have gotten these kids to buy in. And this is not a situation where they've gotten them to buy in by playing their, playing their music and giving them a little bit looser reign. These guys have turned the screws on this roster. They have demanded that guys meet the standard and that's led to some, some division, but it does appear that by and large, the, this coaching staff seems to have the trust of this team. 
Now, you hope that that pays off with a couple early wins that then the ball can start get, start rolling. All of a sudden, you get momentum and the program can shift because that culture has, has flipped all of a sudden. You get a couple early losses, things go wrong, and you can lose all that trust really quickly. And we, we saw that the last time. Now, I, I do think that the overall lack of discipline that, and the lack of, uh, of accountability was really the ultimate factor in that. But it, if they had won the Virginia Tech game, it does, I do wonder what, had ha- what would have happened had they come out and managed to actually win that game, even, if, even winning it playing poorly, would that team have bought in a little bit more? I don't know. And now, long term, I think what happened for the long term of the program was better because I don't think that that staff was ultimately going to be able to win and win big at Florida State regardless. But they lost that team pretty, pretty early in terms of trust. Because that team knew what it, what, it, what it felt like. A lot of those older guys knew what it felt like to be good and to play well. And all of a sudden, they started looking around going, we aren't doing anything close to that. And if you listen to uh, like Keith Gavin's interview after last season, that, that, that was very much clear about what, what he was saying about that, about that situation. I want to pause for a moment to thank Shenandoah Newsma from Keller Williams Realty in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Shannon has a PhD from UNC and knows how to put that research training to work. And she also takes great pride in not taking a one-size-fits-all approach to real estate. She specializes in customizing strategic options for each client and providing expert guidance through how to think about each option. It's a lot more work, but in the end, Shannon's clients end up way better off. My wife and I worked with Shannon a couple years ago and could not recommend her more highly. If you or anyone you know is looking for a realtor in the research triangle, there's no one better. Her information's in the show notes. Tell her you heard about her from the Unconquered podcast. All right, we're going to go ahead and close this show with a question and answer session. Got a few questions coming in that came in right before the uh, right before I recorded. So I'm going to go ahead and, and take care of some of those. And then uh, next episode, we will begin the uh team the season preview stuff position by position but uh this will give a nice preview because a few questions have to do about uh, have to do with roster and all of that so who are your top breakout candidates on offense and defense this year so that was that was first question uh to me the top breakout candidates on offense are uh jashawn corbin at running back obviously a new addition there through uh, as as a transfer so and anything from him actually is sort of a, a breakout in that sense or a, a new contribution. But I think he's going to have a solid year at running back. And he's going to have to because they don't have a whole lot of experience depth behind him in terms of real quality guys. I mean, Toa Fili has been better in camp than I thought, but he does look like a stick, man, in those uh, in, in those clips that, that, that have been released from camp at 180 pounds. He, he really needs to have a strong off season after this year and, and add at least 10 pounds. He needs to be 190, 195 going into his sophomore year. But, uh, but yeah, these guys, I think Corbin would be, would be on, number one on my list. And then the two sophomore receivers, uh, Jordan Young and Warren Thompson would be my next two. I think those guys are going to have, are going to, are going to start really living into some of the potential that they, that has been talked about since they signed. And now, again, this is a new offense and all of that, but those guys are going to start, I think, showing a little bit more. You're going to start to see those guys uh, a, a bit more uh, make, make some plays this year as a result of just being more experienced, more mature, and having a little bit more camaraderie with their with the quarterback and, and a little more playing time, I think, just based on all of that. So those would be my, my guys on, on offense. Uh, on defense, ah, uh, geez. So I think the break, the breakout candidate 
really is Josh Kando. I think Josh Kando could have a monster season this year. Uh, I mean, that guy has All-American talent. That's never been in question. He was top 10 recruit for a reason. And he, there's, he's been, he's been, some people might call him a bust so far on, on campus, but he hasn't been a bust. He's been injured. He's been dinged up. He's been hurt. He's had all sorts of little obstacles, but that guy's not been a bust when he's been out there. He's been pretty freaking good. And all of a sudden, if he's healthy and he seemed to be all camp, if he stays healthy and he plays, he starts to continue playing like he did toward the end, right before his injury last year, you're looking at a potential All-American season from Kando. I think Kando is the breakout candidate on defense. The other guy that I would choose would be Akeem Dent. So, you know, third behind them, maybe Travis J. But I, I would say the breakout guy is going to be, the breakout guy on the team is probably going to be Josh Kando. Next question, which position group on offense and defense will be the most improved from last year? For me, the offense is actually fairly easy. I think that's going to be the quarterback position. I think Blackman is going to show significant improvement over last year. There's been some improvements in terms of how he's throwing, just in terms of attention to detail and drops, in terms of his overall throwing mechanics. And and that has translated to some improved accuracy. Is he going to be an all-conference quarterback? No. I don't think you're going to see that, but he's, I think he's going to be significantly better than what you saw last year. Also, the other reason that you're going to see that is that this offense is going to be called in such a way that he's going to, that it's tailored to what he's able to do, what he's comfortable doing. And that's something that they didn't do last year, last year. And we talked about this early in the year. What Bryles does is runs his system. He's, he, he has a system and he's going to run that. Now he's going to, tinker with it and tailor it to, to what his guys can do within the confines of that, but it's not as flexible as what you have with Norvell. And I think just that is going to help Blackman a lot. He's going to be asked to do stuff that he's more comfortable with, and you're going to see better play from that position. As far as defense, I think the entire defensive defensive line, and again, the defensive end position because of Kendo, is going to be where you're going to get better. And I think it's mainly because they're going to be playing in a system that they understand first and foremost, and that better suits their skill sets. If you turn Janarius Robinson, Marvin Wilson, Durden, Kando, Robert Cooper, Fabian Lovett, that, that whole group, if you just turn those guys loose in a one-gap system, you're going to get disruption. There's just too many good athletes. And they're playing in a coordinated system. They're actually playing in something that they understand that works together with what's going on behind them, where the guys behind them understand what they're supposed to be doing. And that in itself is just going to make a big difference in terms of run run fits and everything else. So I do think that the secondary is going to be better, again, because of the coordination situation. Uh, but I think the, the real obvious improvement is going to be defensive line because the talent was there last year. And they just didn't play that great last year. Or when, when, even when they played well, they weren't able to make a bunch of splash plays because of the kinds of things they were asked to do. So last year, they were playing very much that defense, that tight front. They're, you're asking guys to basically two-gap so that the linebackers can make plays behind you. But the linebackers sucked. So all of a sudden, you're asking your, your elite defensive line to basically set up the linebackers to make plays, but your linebackers then don't make plays. So you basically 
hamstrung one group that should be your strength and maximize the weaknesses of the other of the other group this year they're flipping that they're basically saying look our our best guys are that are those front four we're gonna go to we're gonna we're gonna let those guys eat and the linebackers can just kind of clean up after whatever they got those guys don't 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 kill and that's basically going to result i think in a better overall system uh that is going to result in in very obvious impro- it's going to be improvement in this in statistically and in terms of what it looks like from the defensive line even if those guys not all those guys are actually playing any better necessarily they're just going to be asked to do stuff that is much splashier so yeah all right next question do you expect defensive coordinator Fuller to blitz a lot more than Holland Barnett and Charles Kelly did this year? Will he blitz as much as Jeremy Pruitt when before Jeremy Pruitt left here? Okay, so there's a lot going on in this question. Um, the short answer is no. I do not expect Fuller to blitz more than Barnett and Kelly, partly because Barnett and Kelly blitz quite a bit. And both Barnett and Kelly blitz more than Pruitt. That that twenty that 2013 team didn't blitz all that much. What what they did is when they did blitz, they made they, they it paid because they would blitz. You know they used that that field blitz from the nickel where you'd have uh, uh, that year's Lamar, Lamarcus Joyner coming off the edge a bunch, and Joyner made it count. First of all, he disguised it well. You know they made those blitzes count when they blitzed, but they blitzed less in 2013 than they did in 2014 because they were able to get more pressure from the front four front three in 2013 than they were in 2014. They had to blitz more in 2014 because they didn't have the personnel, the same level of personnel with Timmy Jernigan gone uh, to be able to do some of the same stuff that they did in 2013. And then for 15 and 16, they continued to blitz more than they had in 13 again for similar reasons. And, but when they blitzed, it just didn't pay off as much. And Barnett actually blitzed more than Kelly, especially that first year. They blitzed a bunch that first year. And last year, well, last year they blitzed some, but it was out of tight front. So the blitzes would often be to get to four, four man. And, you know, they did a lot of fire zone type stuff where it's a five man rush and, and drop, th- drop uh, three deep type coverage. So they used more of that last year. You might see a little bit more in terms of, like true blitzes this year than you saw last year from that tight, tight front scheme. Um, but overall, you're not going to see more blitzing this year than what you've seen. What you will see is a lot more aggressiveness from the front four. And that's going to look like to, to a lot of fans, that's going to look like they're blitzing. And that's, that's going to be the difference. And, and I think it, it, it there, I think you're going to see a lot more pressure than you did the last few years but not because they blitzed. You're going to see the pressure because they've got dudes up front. So, yeah. And actually that's what you want. You want to you want to not have to blitz. If you can get for, if you can get pressure with your front four, that makes the, that makes defense pretty easy. All of a sudden, you know, that's that's Mickey Andrews football. Mickey barely ever blitzed. I mean, there were games where they'd call 95% jet robber, which was just uh ends coming screaming up the field off the edge. The two defensive tackles playing straight up the field in, in their gaps. Backers each have one gap. You got a rover coming, uh, rover rotating down into the into the robber spot, and then uh, basically man to man to man coverage on the outside. That's that's Mickey Andrews football, and that's just letting your defensive line wreak havoc because you got dogs up there. 
and when Mickey had to start blitzing, that was often a sign that they weren't getting the job done up front. Now, there were times against Spurrier, for example, when Spurrier would go five wide that they had an automatic zero blitz, but that was a different thing. That's, that's different than, than a lot of other stuff. That's just a decision that we're going we're gonna to go ahead and bring one more than you can block just because we think we can cover. But you'll, And I think you'll see some of that from Fuller. But by and large, you're going to see less blitzing and more pressure. So, and that's a good combination, I think. And it's just because you've got dudes there, here. And Fuller's going to need to make sure he maximizes what he gets out of this, this group because the talent level drops off pretty significantly as soon as Janarius Robinson, Marvin Wilson, <laughs> Durden, and especially Kando are off campus. They got some guys behind him that are pretty good, but they don't have another Kando on that roster. They don't have another Marvin Wilson on that roster. They don't even have another Janarius Robinson on that roster, although Quayshon Fuller's look good. They don't, they don't have those guys. So they better maximize what they get out of them this year just to be able to start getting some more on campus to prove that, like, look, look what we can make you look like when you're here. So, yeah. I'm going to pause here to thank Garage Makeovers, the top-rated garage remodeling company in South Florida, according to HomeAdvisor and Angie's List. They're licensed and insured and have been serving all of Palm Beach and Broward County since 2005. So if you need painting and drywall work or overhead storage, polyaspartic flooring, cabinets, shelving, slot wall, accessories for anything you have, call Nathan at Garage Makeovers for all of your storage and organizational needs. You'll have the best garage in the neighborhood information in the show notes. Let them know you heard about them from the Unconquered podcast. All right. Final question here. Why does Norvell use bigger receivers in the slot compared to other offensive systems that use a quicker or faster player in the slot? Why does he put the, the, the faster guy outside so much? So this is something I, I'm actually planning on breaking down on Patreon as a part of the preseason preview stuff. But the short answer here is that one that, that Norvell uses a lot of RPOs on the outside with his uh, with his wide receivers, just like every other coach in, in football these days. I mean, Jimbo used the same thing. But whereas most coaches use a bubble screen with the outside wide receiver blocking as the constraint play on the backside of, say, uh, inside zone or outside zone, Norvell tends to flip that so that the inside guy blocks out on the corner and the outside guy is coming inside with a little spot spot type screen uh, where that outside guy is coming inside, catching it, moving toward the quarterback, and then turning the ball up the field. Norvell seems to think that that is a more efficient, more reliable play than the than the bubble, partly because the ball gets there a little quicker. It's a little easier catch throw and catch for the quarterback and the outside receiver. And also the outside receiver is able to run through the ball with momentum and get up field a little quicker than what, what you can with the ball on the, uh, on, on the bubble. So since that's the default, uh, bubble that you're going to see from Norvell, it makes sense to have your quicker, faster guy on the outside a little bit more often and have your bigger guy as the blocker kicking out on the outside. Now, when you see those guys flip a lot of times that that's going to mean that you're going to get a different look with the, uh, RPO type stuff than what you're at least by my read, that's what you're going to get uh, based on what I've seen. Uh, you're going to get some other RPO type options on the on the backside or the front side of a, of a given run if you start seeing the the inside guy as the smaller guy. That may that that's a little bit of a tell, I think, where you're going to see uh, something other than that that screen. But the thing is, 
that isn't a complete tell, but because there are times where he's going to do that because he knows that the defense is starting to key on that. And then he's going to, he's going to do the the normal thing. So, you know, it's one of those things where even if it is a little bit of a, of a, um, of a tip, you can manipulate the tip <laughs> and, and Norvell and his staff do a really good job of self-scouting on that stuff. So, uh, but that's, that's a big factor is just that they default not to the bubble, but rather to that little spot screen. Uh, and that's just a philosophical thing in terms of how they work. Uh, there are other, there's some other things there too, though, that they like to throw a lot of four verts and do a lot of, uh, and throw a lot in the seams there and they throw back shoulders on those seams. So you get back shoulders against the safety, for example, and you're, you're getting a lot of times your bigger sort of, uh, more big play type down the field guy up against a safety or a slot slot corner. And you can do a little bit more with that guy in that case. The other thing, there's one other factor here is that when they do run a fade, that's not a back shoulder, they run a lot of slot fades. And that again, you're, you want your, your taller guy to be running that kind of fade where you're throwing it down and making it a bit of a jump ball or throwing it to his outside shoulder. And if you can do it from the, from the inside, as opposed to the outside, that guy has way more room to run that. And they, they've, they've done a lot with the slot fade as well. So there are several reasons why they why they do that, but the fact is that they just move their receivers around a lot more, as we talked about, to get matchup advantages, and that's pretty different from what we've seen the last two years. It's much more similar to what you got with, with Jimbo. Now, that does put a bigger demand on what the receivers need to learn. You need to learn multiple multiple positions, responsibilities in order to do that. So you might be the nine guy, yeah, but the nine guys moved inside on this time, uh, on, the, on this play, so you need to know what the three guy would normally do on this play. So that's just that's that's the way that that works. Okay, we'll go ahead and end there. The Unconquered Podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Newsma of Keller Williams Realty in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Garage Makeovers of Palm Beach and Broward County, and the Unconquered Podcast Shop, which features stickers, magnets, and other Seminole gear. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts, post us on social media, and tell a friend. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. Special thanks to those above the bleach numbers level. That is Keith Cheney, Casey Kidd, Chris Chartrand, Andrew Garrett, Brian Leninger, Travis Smith, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening.